So we've been in a great sermon series for the past several weeks called Faith Misunderstood. And today, Charles top, tackles a topic that is big, it's important, and in a typical sort of Charles way, he does it in a very interesting manner. So why don't we welcome Charles Park with a beautiful pink shirt. Thank you. Appreciate the welcome. I wore this shirt. Um, it's from India. And we watched this movie last night about India. It's called The Lion. Anybody see that? It's about an orphan boy looking for his lost home after he grows up. It's just powerful, powerful movie. You can't watch it without crying, so I recommend it. But anyway, so India is of interest to us because, you know, we do a lot of things over there. We are connected with Asha. The founder of Asha, Dr. Karen, will be here on July 16th. It will be sort of an Asha day. Asha works with slum residents of Delhi. And it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful work that they do. And it's, uh, it's really fun to have her here. So I'm looking forward to that. Mark your calendar. It's going to be great. India Day, July 16th. Okay, we've been in an interesting sermon series called Faith Misunderstood. It's generating good conversations. It's been fun. Have you guys liked it so far? It at least like makes you think, yeah? We're trying to set straight a lot of assumptions about Christian faith that kind of get you stuck uh, in a wrong place. And so we're trying to get to the right way of thinking about all these different topics so that we can keep growing. It's been very good. And today I like to talk about the topic of Sin. Sin. Isn't that great, guys? Don't you love it? Isn't that like the most popular topic ever? You think about it all the time, right? So here we are. Well, actually, I want to talk about life-giving view of sin. Life-giving view of sin. Uh, We usually tend to not want to think about sin because it's not a fun topic. But there is a way to view sin that is life-giving. Isn't that interesting? I'm not saying that sin is life-giving. Sin is life-destroying. I am talking about life-giving view of sin. Understanding of sin that gives us life because we all need a good grasp of what sin is. I mean, whether you believe in God or not, every human being needs some way to tell what is bad behavior and what is good behavior, what is loving, what is hurtful. Every human being needs an internal standard that helps you guide your behavior in order to have good life. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if you thought that, you know, there's no standard... Anything goes. Just do whatever feels good. That's just an infantile view of life. If you were two years old, that's okay. Right? I mean, that's what you think when you're two years old. And you just do whatever feels good. But if you are stuck in that mindset as you grow up, you're going to cause all kinds of hurt to people around you as well as yourself. Right? So we all need a good view of sin. So let's begin with the most common understanding out there of what sin is. Uh, The old covenant view of sin. 
In this view, sin is all about right and wrong, pure and contaminated, ideal or falling short. So if you do the wrong thing, then you are sinning. If you do the right thing, you're all right. The most famous sermon in American church history is titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Right? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. This is from Monty Python. It's pretty funny, right? It's this idea of God in the heavens like a big brother or something, monitoring everyone 24-7 to judge your every act and thought to see if you're measuring up or not. Right? You're familiar with that concept, right? That's a very popular understanding of how churches understand sin and God. And actually, this is the dominant view of sin, not just in churches, but all around the world. Plato talked about this ideal beyond the cave that everyone needs to strive towards. Confucius talked about these heavenly ways that should dictate all our actions down to the minutes. And if you mess up, then you're sinning. Very detailed view of sin. The Islam has Quran. The Hindus have karma. And the Jews, of course, had the old covenant with the thundering prophets speaking of sin and angry God. And all these systems of thought, all these religions, all agree on this basic idea that there is an ideal beyond this world, heavenly ways that we all need to strive towards and measure up to. This is called the axial insight. That's a term from history. And it's this idea that all these systems of thought and religion from Greece, Middle East, through Uh, India to China, all the way across East Asia. Now along the axis of the globe, right around there, around the same time, about two, three thousand years ago, all these systems arose at the same time. And it moved human civilization forward. Any culture that did not connect itself to one of these great traditions, one of these traditions of actual insight, remained primitive and died out. Every modern civilization today is connected to one of these great traditions, which all agreed on the heavenly ways or the ideal beyond this world. And that's because before this, I mean, let's face it, for most of human history, human beings, there was, it was just chaos. It was barbaric. Whoever had the power got to do whatever they wanted to do. Might made right. The kings did horrible things. And so this idea that arose that said, you know, you have the power and you can do whatever you want on this world. But after you die, you're going to be born as a dung beetle. 
You know, there is a heavenly way that's judging you. You know, that made modern civilization possible. Law and order became possible beyond power. And it moved human beings forward. And because that was so powerful, so useful, and so global, we just assume that Christianity is also of the actual insight, that it's all about right and wrong, that it's all about God's rules, and we need to live up to God's rules. Well, that's the old covenant, isn't it? The old covenant was all about God saying, here are my rules, obey it, and if you don't, that's a problem. But you see, Christian faith is not like the old covenant. Jesus died on the cross to replace the old covenant with the new. I mean, think about it, folks. The Son of God died on the cross. The nature of God himself was marred on the cross. Just to continue the old system? Right? I mean, that seems demeaning to Jesus and his death on the cross. He he brought something revolutionary. He brought something that is a radical departure from the old covenant. So that we call this new covenant. There has to be a difference, right? It can't be just continuation of the old game. And yet, that is kind of how we take, most of us take Christian faith today. We, we, we think of Jesus today as sort of playing this reset button. You know, to borrow from the video game language. You know, Jesus has become this, this extra life in the, in the game of old covenant, right? The game is still the old covenant. We are trying to live up to God's rules, but of course, because we are human beings, we fail. We mess up. We sin. And when we sin, we turn to Jesus and we push the Jesus reset button. We say, Jesus... You died on the cross. Sorry, I messed up. Forgive me. We get forgiven and we get extra life. Voila! So you can keep on playing. Back on the game to play the game of trying to live up to God's rules. Right? Isn't that how you guys play it too? That's like, that's the predominant paradigm. But that relegates Jesus to just this supporting role of the old covenant. The game is still the old covenant. That's the basic system and that's what we play. And Jesus is that extra reset, extra life button so that we can continue to play the old covenant game. And is that why the Son of God died for? To just keep playing that game? There has to be more. Jesus said to the experts of the old covenant game, you must be born again. 
like born again, like your, your DNA has to change. Everything about how you think about faith and God has to be turned upside down. And he said that to the experts of the old covenant game. So there has to be a radical departure. Christian faith is a new game, a radically new game than the old covenant game. And so the view of sin in Christian faith, that also has to have a radical departure from old covenant views. It has to be deeper and much richer than just right and wrong, pure and impure that can be found in any number of religions all around the world. This view is limited and ultimately does not work. God himself said so and cursed the old system. Galatians 3.10, he said, All who rely on rules, even if it's God's rules, are under God's curse. It's not that there's no right and wrong, and it's not that there's no rules. But relying on it as if it's the center of faith, that's under God's curse. That's no good. It's not enough. Life-giving view of sin has to include more. It has to add, it has to include dimension of life and death, connection and disconnection, as well as right and wrong, to broaden it and make faith come alive. See, in the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These two trees at the center symbolize a choice for all human beings. What are you going to put at the center of your life? What are you going to live by? What are you going to eat from to make your life work? And isn't it so interesting that in Christian faith we say, Judeo-Christian faith we say, that eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to make that, right and wrong, center of our choices, that's called the original sin. Source of all problems on earth. Now isn't that interesting? You would think that choosing between right and wrong, good and evil, should be a good thing. It should be the foundation of religion. And almost every religion I know of does make right and wrong, good and evil, foundation of its system. Except for Christian faith. We call it the source for all problems. Now that means that Christian faith is deeper than what we assume it to be. That's just about right and wrong. It's got to be more. It's not just about getting to more law and order, a man's attempt to do that. And this theme is repeated when God gave the law in Deuteronomy. At the end of giving all the laws, and there are many, God gives all of his laws and to cap it off, he caps off what he has just done and he says, I have set before you life and death. Therefore, choose life. Isn't that interesting? Because after God gives all the rules, wouldn't you expect God to say, now we're giving you all the rules, the right and wrong. These are all the right things to do. Guys, do the right thing. 
Right? Don't you you expect God to do that? No, he says, what I've just given you, all these rules of God, it's about life. It's about getting you more life. Therefore, choose life. That means sin is about life. It's about getting more life or losing life. It's not just about right and wrong. So I'm asking us to broaden our view of sin. It has to include, does my act and thought lead to more life or lead to more death? Does it lead to more connection? Does it lead to less connection? And if you can do that, then it will broaden your view of faith, of Bible, of sin, of God. It will make faith come alive. For example, the Bible will come alive. If you look at the Bible as just this rule book, you know, to define what is right and wrong, like this box, and that's how people think of it, the religions, you know, holy scriptures, all the religions use holy scriptures to define what's in, what's out, what's good, what's evil, what's right, what's wrong. And if you look at the Bible as a rule book, I mean, who wants to spend time reading rule books? Any of you? Any of you like just, okay, this is my favorite pastime. Here's a rule book. Let's read it. I mean, it becomes dry, right? But if you look at the Bible as what it's originally meant to be, the Bible in the hands of God, supposed to bring you life and connection. If it can bring you more life and connection, then it becomes more interesting. It comes alive. These are two very different ways of looking at faith, Bible, God. One is motivated by fear. The other is motivated by life. One puts the tree of knowledge of good and evil at the center. And right and wrong is is the central thing you think about. The other puts the tree of life at the center. One view has God judging everyone from the heavens. The other view has God coming alongside you to empower you towards more life and connection. And the name of the Holy Spirit is one who comes alongside. The name of God is not one who sits in the heavens to judge you. These are two very different views. It's a choice that has big consequences, practical consequences. And I want to invite Tim now to come up and share his story of growing up in a in a faith environment, in a culture that focused on right and wrong, purity, ideals, and what impact it had on his life uh, growing up. So would you please welcome Tim. Cool. Uh, Hi guys, my name is Tim, and I am a child of 90s evangelical purity culture. Um, what that means, you might have heard of the stuff like purity rings, purity pledges, purity balls, uh, things like that. The basic kind of foundational idea of it all was that uh, sex was this powerful and dangerous thing that could destroy you, that could destroy your future marriage. And, uh, you know, so no, no effort to forestall its dire consequences would be too great. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I bought into it wholesale, hook, line, and sinker. Um, it became such a big 
like part of of my faith, especially being in like my late teens, early twenties. I mean, this was easily the thing that we talked about the most um, in, in kind of our faith, especially with kind of other young men going through this. Um, I specifically read a book uh, in my senior year of high school called I Kissed Dating Goodbye uh, by a guy named Joshua Harris. And so I became the Christian kid who was so religious that I didn't date um, in high school. And this also led me to getting the dubious honor of, uh, you know, senior yearbook superlatives like most likely to succeed and stuff like that. I was most likely to be a saint. <laughs> Not joking. <laughs> Um, what I have learned in the time since, or, or kind of my journey since then, has been learning to let go of a lot of the shame and anxiety um, and stuff that, that, that had kind of been put on me um, around this. Um, I also, I think it's notable to, to say that uh, for all the attention that we put on purity, for all the attention that we put on kind of getting away from not just sexual activity, but sexual thoughts, anything, you know, regarding this, I never learned about consent. I never learned about healthy boundaries. I never learned about body positivity. I never learned about all of these other important issues that surround having a healthy sexuality because all of our attention was put on don't do it, don't think about it, and everything will be fine, just trust us, right? Um, and so that's, that's been my journey. And actually, um, recently, because, you know, we're about 20 years later, a lot of those teenagers from 90s purity culture are now in our 30s. Um, and, you know, I, I should say that there are, there are plenty of people who felt blessed by this. I, I have plenty of friends who, who are happy with their choices that they made. Um, they're happily married. They, they, you know, they don't have any regrets about that. Um, but I know plenty of people, uh, and actually there's, there's a whole website called Life After I Kiss Dating Goodbye. You should totally, totally Google that, where people just sharing their stories of kind of like, okay, we grew up in this, and then what happened? Um, and there's a whole range of stories, some mundane, some traumatic, um, you know, people kind of venting this, uh, this frustration and this anger at you know a lot of the things that they they felt they were that were put upon them and then kind of they had to unpack um, later in life. Um, so yeah, um, that's my story. Um, I I truly truly believe that you know we can. There there is a lot to unpack, but I I believe that we can get through that, and I believe that we can combine our message of God's love um, with a, a healthy view of our sexuality and, um, and be positive about this. And, and I don't think that these have to be in conflict with each other. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Thank you for sharing. I really appreciate that. Tim is a... Tim is a pretty fun guy. He's not just a saint anymore, you know. So I would encourage you to get to know him. He's a fun guy. He does swing dance. It's pretty fun. You know, I think we can all agree that a lot of problems can emerge from catch having sex too early. That's a huge problem. Huge problems can happen. Teenage pregnancy. STDs, 
abuse can be rampant if kids who don't know anything start doing this. And so you would think, you would assume that all this focus on purity, all this focus on don't do it, all this like teaching and hammering into kids, you know, away from these dangerous bad things, you would think that this will have positive impact. And yet, the teenage pregnancies, the STDs, the abuse rates, they are the highest rates are in conservative Bible Belt regions. In the areas where they actually focus on and spread this culture of purity, that's where all these problems are so much higher than the rest of the country. And you think, why is that? Isn't that surprising and ironic? I mean, you think that all that hammering should lead to some kind of better effect, but it's actually so much worse. It's because you put the tree of knowledge of good and evil at the center and make it a focus like that, it doesn't lead to good things. The Bible tells us over and over again, it's under God's curse. Bad things happen. Judge a tree by its fruit. It's not resulting in good things. What is going on? It's because God and faith is so much deeper and higher than just right and wrong. I mean, if it were enough to just talk about right and wrong, Jesus would not have had to take on the cross. I mean, just go on with the old covenant and just keep saying, do the right thing. Why do we need Jesus to get extra reset button? That's Oh, come on. You see, being a Christian means making this commitment to put the tree of life at the center. To put cross at the center as opposed to tree of right and wrong, good and evil. Again, there is right and wrong. Just don't put it at the center. Put Jesus at the center. Put God at the center. And that's what it means to be Christian. And that will bring so much more life. So how do we do that? There's so much I want to talk about on that. I could talk for hours on that. But I have 10 minutes. So you will get three practical suggestions. (laughs) One, first is obvious. Be motivated by life and connection rather than just right and wrong. Don't just think about, is this right or is this wrong? Think about, will this lead to life or will this lead to death? Sin is anything that gets in the way of life and connection. Just because you're keeping rules doesn't mean you're not sinning. Think about the Good Samaritan story. In that story, we have a priest and a Levite that sees a dying man on the road and they pass him by. Are they sinning? I would say they are sinning. The point of Jesus' story is that they are sinning. That they will not get eternal life is the point that Jesus is saying. Are they sinning because they're breaking a rule? There's no rule that they are breaking. But they are sinning because they're moving away from life and connection. You have to have a bigger view of sin. 
And in that story, Good Samaritan, I mean, we got to understand the scandalous nature of this story, really. A Samaritan at the time, you know, how they were viewed by the people of faith, in today's equivalent, they are like Buddhist, Christian, gay, feminist, with 25 body piercings and with tattoos. It's just, they were just, Samaritans were just wrong people who did everything wrong, who broke every rule there is. Bad people. And Jesus says, this Samaritan, just because he moves towards life and connection, he will get saved, he has eternal life, he is approved by God. That is such a challenging story to people who are focused on right and wrong and God's rules. And of course, that's why they ended up killing Jesus, because it was so challenging. But this is, this is what we mean when you become a Christian, to go with Jesus rather than those people who killed Jesus. <laughs> you know? So, whenever you weigh any choice, don't just ask, is this right or wrong? Is this God's rule or not? Ask yourself and the Holy Spirit, what choice would lead to life and connection? Got it? You've got to have an expanded view of sin. And if churches did this, like what would lead to life and connection? Now, all those conversations that Tim wished that he had, all those things that he never learned inside church, he never learned about consent in church. He had to go outside church to learn about that stuff. Oh man, that's a tragedy, don't you think? That's horrible. It's because churches have this one-dimensional, rigid view of what sin is, and this purity, the idea that just says, just don't even like, talk about it. That's what causes all this problem. It's too rigid. Last week I talked about the Bible as the training manual and Holy Spirit as the personal trainer. If we use the Bible rigidly like a training manual and start applying it everywhere to all people, it's going to cause a lot of problems. I mean, if all we have is the training manual, it just all gets too rigid. For example, if the training manual says, let's say it's about exercise, it's a rule book about what gives you better health, and it says run 10 minutes every day on treadmill to get your heart rate up to 150, that will make you healthy. And in general, yeah, that's a good idea. So we should. What if you never ran a day in your life? What if you had a heart surgery two weeks ago? What if you had brain surgery two weeks ago? You're going to run on the treadmill to get your heart rate up to 150? You will die. (laughs) Right? So to use this, the Bible, like a training manual and say, well, here is what it says. Everybody's got to... That will not work. We need the personal trainer. And that's where we get the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus died on the cross. To open the way for the Holy Spirit to come and become a personal trainer for all people. He said that again and again. Why are we not listening to that? 
It's all over the Bible, and churches don't talk about it. It's all Bible. It's crazy. Jesus said, Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He did not say the Bible will guide you into all truth. He said, Holy Spirit will convict the world of its sin. He did not say the Bible will convict you of sin. Why don't we just trust Jesus and read these verses and say, oh yeah, this is what the Bible says. Let's go with that. I don't understand it, really. What's going on out there? And this is such an important point. We need a personal trainer. I want to highlight Tim's point that this purity culture worked for some people but not for others. Well, that's the way it goes, right? If you use the training manual, it will work for some people. It will not work for some others. So sin always has to be personal and contextualized. What is sin for you may not be sin for me. I mean, it it always has to be personal and contextualized. I mean, if we just think of it as this bounded set and what is right and what is wrong, you know, I'm pretty much inside that circle in a pretty good way. You know what I mean? I mean, if you were privileged and you were men and, and, and you go to church and in general you don't do too many bad stuff, You're in. Right? You're a good Christian. And then you start coasting. And that's all that's that's required. You're just like, oh, come on. Right? I mean, that's just like running a few minutes on the treadmill and going, you know what? I'm I'm never going to have a heart attack because I'm doing what the training manual says. You will be rudely surprised. Right? No, it has to be the other way around. Jesus said, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. The more you are in, the more you know of God, the more you have been in faith, the harder you should be working. Right? You can't ever coast. You have to keep moving forward towards life and connection. We cannot ever coast. But this view of sin as the right and wrong, this one dimension of boundary set, it always leads to coasting. It leads to the priest and the Levite that can just pass by because they're pretty much in. That is a tragedy. Come on, guys. We've got to always do more. And that's what the personal trainer will do to you. Notice I said, do to you. not do for you. They will do this to you. They will just go, okay, you know, you you did this much, next time we're going to do this much, and next time we're going to do this much, and next time we're going to do this much, and they just keep going, right? Why? Because that's the only way when it comes to life, when it comes to health, when it comes to health of the soul or the body or in any other way, that's the only way it works. Does it work any other way? No. You just have to keep moving. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Further in and further up, there is no end. You have to keep moving forward. As opposed to rigidly applying these rules and saying, I'm sinning or I'm not sinning, I'm good, I'm not good. It doesn't work. Even as basic a thing as lying. Right? You shouldn't lie, right? Lying is a bad thing. It breaks a rule. 
But even lying must be personalized and contextualized. For example, if you were living in Nazi Germany, and you were hiding Jews in the attic, and the Nazis come on the door, and they knock, and they say, are you hiding any Jews? What are you going to do? You know, in the first service, people were really quiet. And they were like, hmm, what do I do? Everybody was very quiet. Do you lie? Lie! No hesitation. Because if you hesitate, they will come in. Right? No hesitation. You lie. I give you permission. To lie. Of course, you can just abuse that kind of stuff and just deceive yourself and just... You know, deceive others and deceive yourself and you just go, oh, I get more life by doing X, Y, and Z and so I just hurt people. You can do that. And that's the danger of that, right? This, this you know, encouraging psychopathic behavior, right? But I'm, I'm telling you this. If you are going to be psychopathic, it doesn't matter what rule you give them. They're going to find a way to be psychopathic anyway. Rules don't work. People... get around things, even mafia assassins. They say things like, oh, I have code of honor. You know, I don't snitch. I kill snitches. And they feel good about it. You know, they they are in, you know. I mean, people can use whatever they want to use. That's not going to help anyone. And so, Ask the Holy Spirit. He is the only one who can get us to the right place. He's the only one who can really move us out of our own thoughts and move us forward. We need to ask what leads to life and what leads to disconnection, what leads to death. And that means never coasting. Look, guys, do you want more life? Yeah? Do you want more connection? Yes. Yes, you're in the right place. God wants to give you life and connection. And that's why the Bible is such a fascinating book. That's why faith is such a powerful thing. Because it will give you strength. It will give you power. It will empower you and guide you and give you more life and more connection. All that your heart wants, Jesus is the key. That's the only way. This is... A new insight. He is bringing a new revolution to bring a whole human beings forward beyond law and order to life, creativity, connection, individually and as a nation, as cultures. God is at work moving, for, moving us forward. Let's join in on that. Amen? Amen? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for being our guide. That you are not just sitting up there Jesus, thank you that you became a human being. And and you did everything we did. You pooped, you farted, you did everything. You came alongside us, God. And empowered us and guided us. And died on the cross, bleeding from hands and feet, from the heart. You bled. Every drop of your blood was shed to Move us into a new paradigm, new covenant faith. Help us transform our mind to move away from just right and wrong to this new way 
of living life that you are inviting us to. And we shall find life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.